Welcome to another episode of the Pre-PT Grind Podcast, where we help students like you live out their dream of becoming physical therapists. In each episode, we will show and teach you how you can get one step closer to your dream of becoming a PT by increasing your level of clarity, confidence, and control. And as a thank you for listening to this episode, we want to provide you with a free gift. After coaching hundreds of students directly, we've learned that one, guessing is the enemy of your success as a future PT and knowing both that and what your current individual game plan should be is the difference between feeling confident and in control or overwhelmed and lost as a student. So we have a free training for you. You can find it at www.guessfreeprept.com. It's going to take care of you and it'll help you stop guessing and get in the driver's seat of your journey as a future PT. That's it. That's your free gift. Enjoy the rest of the episode. We'll see you in the next few moments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to PrePT Grind, where we help you become the best PrePT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brianna Drapp, and I am your host for today's faculty highlight interview. I'm excited to be on here today because we have Associate Professor Dr. Emma White and Program Manager Mr. Darren Ganey of Winston-Salem State University joining us today to answer a few questions regarding their program. Thank you, Dr. White and Mr. Ganey, for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you for Thank having you. us. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to hear all about your school because I don't know too much about it. So it's going to be really interesting. And I hope there's a lot of students on here who are ready to hear a lot about your school as well. So, so Dr. White, in five minutes or less, could you tell us about what led you to the profession? And then Mr. Darren, in five minutes or less, tell us about what led you to Winston-Salem. Well, um, I can recall back in high school, actually, um, one of our neighbors was an administrator at a university setting and she would sit down with all the high school students and talk with us about well what are you going to do once you graduate from high school and I had expressed interest in I, I was physically active and athletic in high school and thought about a um, teacher as a teacher in PE and and I also was interested in medicine so I thought well I don't know if I want to invest that amount of time to go to medical school so this neighbor introduced me and she said, well, have you thought about physical therapy? And I had never even heard of what is physical therapy and what do they do? So she arranged for me actually to volunteer at a hospital setting and then in an outpatient setting so that I could become familiar with, well, what do what is physical therapy and what do physical therapists do? So it was extremely enlightening for me and truly that would that I would say led me to the field of physical therapy. I love working with people and physical therapists were so uh, communicative with patients and you know the time commitment that was involved in their care was something that I was extremely interested in. So that's how I got into PT. And let me just say, I love the field of physical therapy and it's growing in leaps and bounds and the opportunities for physical therapists are also growing in leaps and bounds. Yeah. Oh, and Brianna, I forgot to mention one thing. Prior to coming, I've been teaching for 10 years. And prior to that, I owned a physical therapy orthopedic practice. And about the time that um, I was considering moving from North Carolina, um, and that was when I decided that I would pursue my doctorate degree in PT. 
And that led me to teaching. So I have more experience as a clinician and I love being a private practice clinician, but I've also thoroughly in law uh, engaging with students in the classroom setting. Well, I kind of fell into this role um, by accident. Um, my previous experiences in human resources, I worked for a, another university teaching hospital um, in their human resources department. I also uh, have previous experience working with managed healthcare as a manager. Um, and so basically this job that I'm doing now, the role that I'm doing now here at Winston-Salem State, it combines all of my experience in, into one thing. I really enjoy uh, helping to develop our students, uh, working with our faculty. Um, it's just been a, a really, really great experience. So I say I, I fell into this by accident. It really wasn't an accident. It was, you know, again, putting everything together into one job. Darren, I accidentally got involved in PT as well. I had to do a I forget what it was called. It was like grad project to graduate high school. And I had to shadow somebody. And I was like, oh, my neighbor's a physical therapist. I'll go down there and just, I'll shadow John for the day. It'll be fine. And now I'm applying to PT school and he wrote me a letter of rec. So it's just funny how you accidentally end up there. And that was the yeah. thing was the relationships I was forming with the patients and stuff like that. I love it. It is. I, again, I went back and forth when I saw the post and I went back and forth on, should I apply? You know, I don't think I can do that. Well, I have this. <laughs> Um, but again, literally at the 11th hour, I applied for this position and probably about two days later, um, our then current, our then chair called me um, and wanted to do an interview. And from the very beginning, it's been like a family atmosphere from yeah. meeting her in that conference room in a hot July, <laughs> hot damn July. It was, it was, you know, I, I don't regret this decision at all. Yeah, and see the professionalism that he brings and the students see that, right? And so that is just huge for us. So we can never, he can never leave. In fact, he has a <laughs> lifetime commitment. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. I love, and I think it's good for students to see that as well, because when I'm, especially for me looking for a program, I'm seeing how do the faculty interact with each other in the students. Oh, yeah and seeing like that cohesiveness because that trickles down to the students. If everybody's good up here, it's gonna bring that down to the students. If it's questionable up here, it's gonna trickle yeah. down in a negative way. So I'm glad to hear that everything's going well for you yeah. guys. Yeah, and students do comment on how comfortable they feel when they come and we want them to be, right? That's the best learning environment is an environment in which you're comfortable and comfortable asking a question. Yeah, and I didn't realize how, how much of an impact I have on the students until I was actually mm -hmm. interviewing my work-study student. And I said, you know, just tell me one thing that you've heard about this department. And she said, well, I've heard a lot about you, Mr. Darren. I heard <laughs> that you helped the students get to where they, they want to go. And I was like, me? <laughs> you, you're talking about me? And she's like, yeah, I've heard a lot about you. So, I mean, again, oh, yeah. it's worthwhile, the decision of coming here. And I'm sure that translates over into when students are sending their application through when you see their names and you're like, oh, I've helped them before. Let's see what mm -hmm. they have to offer. So since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value the most or that catches your eye when seen on an application? Well, I think for me, what I gravitate to, of course, yes, you look at GPA and GRE, but those aren't the only components that we look at. 
I look at the applicants also commitment to community service, right? And what have they done? What did you do when you were in undergrad? I mean, what organizations, what impact, what role does a community have with your commitment? Because volunteerism is huge in our program. And so the students are required on a uh, quarterly basis to volunteer. We have a community care clinic that they can go to and volunteer. And then we have a number of other uh, volunteer clinics um, involved with neuro neurology. We have an MS FIT program and MS FIT is multiple sclerosis. And students can, are committed to volunteering and going and giving their service and time. So that's a big area that I immediately look at. And then I think one component of the application that students think less about is who they actually ask to write a letter of recommendation. Well, that is huge because we don't do face-to-face uh, -face interviews. So a lot of decisions are made based on what other people say about you. And so when we talk with students, we encourage them to really give thought to who you ask to write your letter of recommendation. And you wanna ask someone who knows you well and that can say, Johnny could swim across the Atlantic Ocean, I have no doubt, versus someone that just says, well, he came to my clinic and observed and he was here on time. You know, the days that he came, he was here on time and he interacted well with patients. So we want more than that. We need to know more about you. And so that's another big area that I like to look at and scan over those letters of recommendation. So I would encourage students just to give it as much thought as you can. Now we do require that one letter come, must come from a professor, prefer preferably in your major. And then the other letter of recommendation has to come from a physical therapist. And then the third could be another PT. It could be a business owner, you know, somebody that you work for. I jokingly tell the students, it can't be your mother and it can't be your auntie. It's gotta be a professional letter. So those are the things that I really look for in an applicant. Commitment to service. And I also look at the essays. I always yep. tell those in, those that, I, that, come, that come to me for advice, I always tell them, do not leave anything blank. Um, that is one of the biggest, most important things that you can do um, is to tell us everything you may not think we should know. It's important, yeah. It goes a very long way. Actually, I was just talking to a young man about two weeks ago from the Chicago area. And he was telling me about himself. And he was like, I don't really think that that was, you know, what I'm telling you is it's important. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I mean, you have no idea how, how that right. little information that you just provided for me, it will go a long way um, in our admissions process. I mean, we'll probably talk about our admissions process a little later, but yeah. I say that's important because we do, we, we, as a committee, we take a second look after mm -hmm. faculty has reviewed it. And we, as committee members, we have to bring forth names that we would like to move forward with. And for me, the biggest part was the essay. Those were, yeah. those, those students, I move forward because of their essay. Yeah. And then the essay too is, did they answer the question? Did they speak to the question would be, you know, another point to be made. So 
Thank you. That is true. The essay is has a huge bearing on moving forward in our process. And I just want to make note that every single school, like I'm batting a thousand saying this, they want to see continued community service and giving yeah. back to the community. If mm-hmm. Even if you're not interested in this particular school, I'm telling you every other school definitely wants to see that. And putting yeah. things on your application you didn't think were important, but they actually yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many sections in PTCAS that you can add. You can add a ton of information. Yeah, don't, as Darren said, don't leave anything blank. There's students that have no volunteer observation, no commitment to community service. Now that's, it's hard to really move that applicant forward if they've had nothing, nothing. Yeah, because this is a profession where we're continually serving our patients. So if they want to see that starting early. So for a student who visits the campus, there's a good chance they will only see so much of your campus or program. What are some of the things that are unique about your program that a, t- that a student would typically not see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? This could include interprofessional opportunities, research component, or a form of teaching such as PBL. All right. Well, we do have a dedicated research laboratory, and we know that many PT programs, especially larger schools, if they have a PhD program, research is more focused on those PhD students. Well, in our program, because we don't have a PhD-focused campus, the students get direct exposure in our dedicated biodynamics lab. And so we've done, you know, every faculty member has a different research interest. Um, we, we certainly tell the students that when they take research and starting in their second year, it really isn't their research project, it's ours. We come to them and share with them what our research interests are. And then the student can s- select maybe the top two or three. And then the research uh, instructor divvies all the students up and then they continue our research. They present, uh, we have a research day where they present their research to their peers and we invite faculty from across campus and there is an evaluation and there's a winner and the winner is um, announced during graduation. So that's a big component. We also have, I made mention of the community care clinic. Now the community care clinic is a free clinic for those persons who do not have health insurance, right? So they have to qualify to go, but it is a full functioning clinic. They have physicians, there's full staff of nurses and administrators. um, And we come on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings and Monday afternoon. And I have to tell you, I think this is a huge benefit for our program because our students get to evaluate real people with a real problem and the faculty are there to help you know go through the evaluation process and i think this is why many of our um the clinics where our students go the physical therapists tell us that our students seem to be a lot more comfortable in that environment and we think it's because they've had exposure and they've had exposure in the community care clinic since their um, first semester of their first year So they immediately get exposure in the community care clinic until they are functioning. You know, we have 
all the documentation is online. So the students are, are completing evaluations, completing the goals, writing the plan of care. So it is truly a functioning clinic. And then we have other, I could go on and on and on. We have other volunteer opportunities with, again, MS Fit. Um, now this program is geared towards persons who are living with multiple sclerosis. And I do have to tell you this story because how this program started, a previous employee at Winston-Salem State in the uh, athletic department came to us and asked if we were interested in helping him develop this clinic, this MS Fit clinic. And he had a vision that, you know, folks with MS could come to a place and continue to strengthen and, and get information to allow them to continue living in their own independent settings. Now, the reason for this is his mother had MS. And so that was the whole reason behind it. But it has filled a need for us. And again, the students volunteer and they assess these folks and make recommendations. And we have a, uh, the YMCA provides a, an environment where, patient, where those folks can come and work out and we've developed the program for them. So there's lots of volunteer opportunities. And I think, yeah, those are the biggest or the biggies that differentiate us perhaps from other programs. Those um, pro bono clinics and outreach programs that students are involved with are so helpful that I've seen mm -hmm. with students have come into my clinic. I know some students have come from, I think, oh gosh, Widener has one. And just like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and then mm -hmm. getting comfortable with starting that initial relationship with the patient. Because I always tell oh, students yeah. that come in, they're like, what's one big... What's your biggest piece of advice you have for students during clinicals? I say, just make the patient feel comfortable with you and everything else is going to fall into place because that's like 90% of the treatment. Because if I have a patient that's comfortable with me and they're like, oh yeah, Brianna's really nice. Like we like, like working with her and it's like, I forgot the next two exercises. I'm going to go look for them. Like they're like, oh, okay. She's just going to go look it for it. But if I am not making them comfortable, then they're like, oh, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> So that's my biggest piece of advice. And I'm really glad you're having students do that because it is oh, yeah. so helpful. And then also reaching out to those communities that really need help because the insurance is annoying. Insurance is annoying. And, um, and it's sad that, you know, we have such a high volume of citizens that don't have health insurance, because if you don't have health insurance, then you have, you know, comorbidities that you're not um, treating. And now we've got this chronic, horrific condition that maybe we could have addressed, you know, 10 years earlier. So there is a big need. There is a big need for community care clinics. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I work in outside of Philadelphia. Lots of oh, people definitely, mm -hmm. they, they really need it. So I appreciate that you guys are doing that. And I'm sure that's going to attract some students to your program as well, hearing that you guys have that clinic opportunity. So for a student who is accepted into your program and is there for the next three years, what kind of resources do you provide them to put them in a position to succeed, such as tutoring, mentoring other students, or having faculty mentors? Well, we start early in that process. Mm -hmm. um, we have two orientations. The first orientation is held in the fall um, prior to the beginning of their three-year commitment. And a part of that orientation, I invite guests um, from our um, HBCU experience um, as part of that um, program is to introduce the students 
um, what it means to be on a HBCU um, campus. Um, we all, I also make sure that um, our students are familiar with the Founders Day for the university. Um, homecoming experience, homecoming experience on the HBCU is it's really awesome. And I think that it's a great opportunity to expose our, our students just to different aspects. Um, then I also include counsel, our counseling services. I include the counseling services in the fall orientation as well as the spring orientation. That's a resources that our students can reach out to um, because we know how rigorous our program, any DPT program is. So that's a resource that we can provide our, our students. Um, also, we have anatomy tutors within our department to help um, our students to be successful. Um, I also expose them to our tutoring services here within the university as well. So, I, and it's not just, you know, we talk about it in the fall and we talk about it in the spring, but we also have lunch, uh, lunch and learns. And so we're always bringing in different guests and, or different speakers, um, uh, career recruiters. We, we always start that process very early. We also do a resume writing in one of the courses that are taught here. I take a look at the resume. If the student want me to take a look, I'll take a look at it, give them some suggestions on how to um, improve their resume. Also take the opportunity and do um, interview skills. We will practice mock interviews um, over and over if you know if that's something that a student would be interested in and to, to utilize. And so we we try to start at before the student actually begins the program and continuously incorporate that throughout our curriculum. And I can just add too, um, the students are when they that second orientation, we've our, Darren has already divvied the students up and they have a faculty mentor. And that faculty mentor, that same person is their mentor throughout their time at WSSU. And so this is the person that the student, you know, if there's any, you know, students are so, they wanna make an A on everything. And so we have high stress students that maybe they made a B and they're just not, they're stressing about it. So the faculty mentor is the person really to go and kind of sit and you know, reflect and take a deep breath. So this is the person that we hope, you know, the student really can connect with. And when they need to de-stress, this is the person that they go to. And we also have Brianna, um, you know, in any graduate school, your GPA, can't or shouldn't drop below a 3.0, right? And so we have in process that when we, we track the GPA and when students get to a 3.2, see our wheels start spinning and we already suggest that they get with that faculty, I mean, whichever course or whatever material you're having the most difficulty with to get with that faculty member, because we don't want you to ever get in a situation where that GPA is dropping to a 3.0. So, and usually these are one-on-one -on -one sessions. We develop a calendar, you know, together about how, what, what are we going to address and how are we going to address it to make sure that everybody is meeting the goals that they need to meet. And just, I want to add one more thing. I also have an open door policy um, mm -hmm. for our students. Um, I find that a lot of students, they may, you know, have an issue that they're not comfortable going to faculty with. My door is always open. And I always tell the mm -hmm. students, whatever we talk about in here stays in here unless you're, you know, I have to report something. 
but for the most part, they look at, like Dr. White said earlier, they look at me as a mentor mm -hmm. um, in, in the department. Yeah. So I just have a quick question about some logistics of your program. When is your deadline? The deadline for applications is mm -hmm. always, I think this year is actually January 16th, that Monday, it's mid-January. And I think the Monday is the 16th. Mm -hmm. And are you so guys that's on, the drop, oops, sorry. That's the drop down deadline. Now we try to encourage students to, if you know that you're gonna apply, to consider getting it in earlier, sooner, because what happens is if you're, you know, you meet that deadline, then it takes APTA an additional four to five weeks to review the application, to verify the information, right? And so we don't even get a verified application until now we're at the begin end of February, the beginning of March. And so we've already made decisions. Yeah, and it's also very important that they uh, students apply or applicants apply early because yeah. we incorporated the CASPER assessment. Mm -hmm. And the absolute last date for the CASPER assessment for uh, this application cycle is January 6th. And so okay. that means yep. they would need to go ahead and um, register for that CASPER assessment by January 6th so that the results can get to us before that January uh, 16th deadline. Yeah. How many students do you guys admit to your cohort each year? 28. 28 students. And we we receive about, you know, six, 700 applications. So it's very, very competitive. And what I like about the program is, no, it is not just based on, it's, it's not as though we take the top 28 based on their GPA and GRE. The second, um, process that, doc, that Darren was talking about is vital, vital to looking at more than just GPA and GRE. In fact, we don't even look at GPA. Once we know they have the minimum, then we can look at other things on the application that make this person so special. And your minimum GPA is a 3.0? It's a 3.0 and the minimum on the um, GRE is 290, and they have to achieve at least 145 on both sections, right? So I, yes, the higher the GPA and the GRE, the better, but once they meet, meet the minimum criteria, then you know they're almost on fair ground with the other applicants. Students should know that if they earn a grade below a C for us, that that course would have to be repeated. And in addition to repeating the course, we don't replace the grade, but the grades would be averaged together. Yeah, that's a big part of, of the process. So it would look like if you got a C and then you got an A, it would look like a B. A B, that's right. There you go. So mm -hmm. for a student who applies to your program, what can they expect on the timeline of the decision? And if your program conducts interviews or preview days, which yours does not conduct interviews, what can a student expect during the course of that preview day? Okay, so we do three round of seat offers. The first offer, we ex we're extend seats in right before Christmas in December. Yes. Um, and those seat offers go out to the top 5%. 
of the uh, total applications that we have on file as of December 1. So that's why it's very important that you submit your application as soon as possible. Um, so after the December seat offer, we review the applications and again, we go to that second round to the committee and we try to make the second round decisions by the end of January. And then we come back again, same process, extend those seat offers by the end of February. Then after all that said and done, we'll go back to the committee again and bring forth our wait list, uh, students that we would like to put on our wait list. And so we try to have that completed by the end of March with all of the final decisions being made by April 15th of every year. Um, so since we don't do interviews, we started last year, we incorporated last year the CASPER assessment. It's a behavior assessment um, and it's really, you don't have to study, you don't need mm -hmm. to study, you can't study for it right. um, because it's a scenario-based assessment. So you may get a question such as, you know, hey, I overheard uh, student ABC, I'm talking about cheating in professor, professor's X class. How would you handle that situation? Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it's also very important that you go ahead and when you submit the application, I'll go, I will send you the email that says, hey, we've added this component. This is the website to go register. You need to register by January 6th because Casper, your application will not move on without um, the, the Z-score from the Casper assessment. Anything you want the to The only thing that may be um, to be added is so that students know, especially for the second round of uh, applicants that we offer to, when we look at other aspects of their application, that first round of offers prior to the Christmas break pretty much is based on um, GPA and GRE. So those students are you know, academically really strong. But then the second round where we've, we still look at GPA and GRE, but once you've met the minimum, we go back through the application to see, well, how would this student help us meet our mission here at WSSU? Um, ethnicity, we look at ethnicity. We look at, was this a student athlete? You know, a student athlete who can still maintain an incredible GPA to me is a very strong student. You know, does the student have any experience in research? Was the student a TA? Maybe they've got some experience uh, in the classroom teaching. Military background. So we look at a, a host of other components and that really is what drives that second round of offers. All right, so in addition to being a strong student, it's a well-rounded student that helps us meet our mission here at WSSU. And I also think too, um, just to add to what Dr. White said, we also look at the applicant attended at HBCU. Um, because part of our mission vision here in the department is that we try, we would like to increase our diversity. We've, we've made great strides in, in that effort with increasing the diversity. But again, we also look at um, if a student has attended the HBCU as well. And I think that that is very important. And that's some of the things that I like about being in the pre-PT grind group is because it's so diverse. There are so many mm -hmm. different people in there. I mean, there are people who are first-generation American. There are people 
of well that's great it's it's yeah. awesome and it's great to be exposed to just a huge different group of people that it really makes you a more well-rounded person in the end yeah. so I appreciate that's that awesome yeah and diversity is a huge problem in PT I mean you look at it and everybody's white yep. and you're like and if you're not white you're it's and you're treat if you're white and you're treating patients who are of color it's like they're looking at you they're like you don't look like me like it's an element of trust at least that I've experienced as a PTA so I appreciate increasing the diversity because it just makes patients feel more comfortable seeing people who look like them you know an APTA has a strong commitment to diversity Mm -hmm. within the you know the whole profession so I, I very much appreciate that as someone who's in the profession and trying to continue on to have a more diverse group of students that I will be working alongside of, because I think it makes everybody more well-rounded to see everybody from different backgrounds. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, big, yeah. big, big. Oh, yeah, profession. for sure. And for many students, they're going right from their undergraduate degree into a graduate degree, while others might be non-traditional students or coming from another profession. No matter what the case is, everyone must may experience first day jitters what can a student expect on their first day and uh, on their first day or week of classes in your program so the first week is we have three-day um, pt prep um and that's we again we bring in those financial aid um, for any of those students that are having issues with financial aid student accounts um counseling services mm-hmm. Uh, the students also tour our anatomy lab, which we have in part, uh, we, the students take the anatomy portion down at Wake Forest School of Medicine. So they also have the opportunity to, um, to take a tour before mm-hmm. um, classes begin. Um, so we, and then we also have a, a Q&A with the, our current students just to make them feel comfortable, how to partner them with the, the, first, the second and third year students to mm-hmm. acclimate them with what to expect um, from this point on. Yeah, it is a, it's a pretty, um, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we cover all bases because we do want students to feel comfortable. So during that first day, I think of orientation, that Friday, see the faculty advisor over a lunch setting. And so it's very informal. Uh, and it's just a way for the faculty member to get to know them and for them to get to know the faculty member. So it's it's not intended to be overloaded in terms of content, but more of a uh, community or sharing opportunity between the two. Also, um, the first week of PT prep or first week of class, I also teach an emotional intelligence course to our students um, to also help them to identify when they just need to take a step back. It's okay to take a step back, take a break. No, and those are important skills that anybody going to any graduate program needs to know. And then also I'm assuming in that emotional intelligence, you're gonna have any sort of talking about soft skills with patients. Are you talking about that as well? Bedside manners, I'm big on, because again, I come from a, a teaching hospital. It's really big bedside manners. (laughs) back to what we're all saying making sure patients feel comfortable with you and everything else is pretty much smooth sailing from that point on no I think that that's great and I'm glad that that's incorporated like first semester first thing when they get there because that's going to set the tone for the rest of the program and it's I'm sure you've seen it translate into better clinicians coming out of school yep 
who have empathy. Yep. That is the biggest thing. Like I, you may not ever know how it feels to be that person, but as long as you can empathize with their situation oh, yeah. and understand that they're frustrated. And understand, that's right. And appreciate that everybody is not coming from the same place. And that's okay. Because that's Amen. what makes this world go around. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so this is the question that a lot of people want to know. So... We know there are a lot of pre-PTs that have a rough start to their journey and might have lower grades and find themselves in a situation where they decide to lock in later on in their journey. At Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help push and guide students to take the correct course of action to ultimately get into PT school. For a student with a lower GPA who wants to get into PT school, what do you recommend? Well, now we do have minimum requirements. And the minimum requirement, again, is a 3.0 GPA and a 290 on the GRE. And Mr. Ganey screens the applications. They screen every applicant before they even get to me to be, for the applications to be distributed amongst faculty to review. And he's screening to make sure they have the 3.0 GPA and the other minimum requirements. So that's something now we cannot change. So an applicant must have at least a 3.0 GPA and those other minimum uh, criteria. So from that point on, you know, when, when students do contact us that, well, what can I do to improve that? And in most cases, you know, they may have to re repeat a course uh, to try to get the, especially if they're say 2.98, uh, 2.99 GPA. And I know we've had instances when a student applied and maybe they didn't have a 3.0. And Mr. Ganey noticed that they had a 298 or a 299 and they're still taking two prerequisite courses. Well, he won't send them a denial. He'll put them in another bucket that says, well, we need to just wait to see what that GPA is going to look like, you know, by the end of that semester. Right, so that that helps, and I and I know we've had applicants who did meet meet the three based on you know putting them in that additional slot. So the biggie would be again if they have a any C minus, especially if it's a C minus in a prerequisite course. So the sciences, all the sciences are prerequisite courses. Should I list them, Brianna? What the prerequisites are? If you want to, I'm assuming it's the same two bio, two chem, two physics, two anatomy and phys. Yep. Okay. <laughs> no, so I don't need to. That's right. Those are the biggies, um, who, which are our prerequisite courses. It's very important. If you are the teetering at that 2.98, 2.99, if you have classes in progress that you're taking, during that academic update, it is very important that you <laughs> yeah. go in and update your grades. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Are, it's unbelievable how many applicants do not go in and update during the academic update. So it's very important. Again, very, yeah. very, very, very important <laughs> that you update your application, your grades. <laughs> yeah. Good point. That's an excellent point. Yep. Yeah, I'd say the worst part of the application is making sure everything's in PTCAS mm -hmm. in the right spot, being sent at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine it can be a lot of, you know, T's across and I's to dot. 
to make sure everything is in there and we've received everything. I probably spent like two hours just making sure everything was in my application. Sure like I did, went through yeah. 30 for 30 minutes, three times. Like I took every single exploit applied to download the PDF and look through it to make sure everything was there. Well, that's a good, that's a good thing. It was a tedious Because then process. you have the student who didn't do that. And Darren's got to email them <laughs> to say, you didn't do this. So you, we can't see your GRE scores or whatever. And I'll also, for any student that is applying to our program, I would also say during this application cycle, please check your emails. Um, because I ran into an instance about a, about a month ago that I, I received a phone call that students said, hey, or the applicant said, hey, I have not heard anything. And I pulled up their PTCAS application and I read off the, the dates and the times that I sent the email. Unfortunately, this person did not check their emails. And it was yeah. the simple, something simple. We didn't have your official GRE scores. And we yeah. asked and I sent emails after emails <laughs> after emails. So make sure you have a good email, you check your spam throughout the application process. Check your spam. I had two interview invites in one week, both end up in my spam folder. So check the email because stuff is ending up there. And I made sure to write in this, our pre-PT grind form that has like 6,000 people. And I'm like, check your spam because stuff is ending <laughs> up in there. I know it's not supposed to, but it's ending up in there. Yeah, that's right. For some reason whatsoever. So check there. And somebody else commented, oh yeah, I had an acceptance letter end up in my spam. And I'm like, Check your spam. <laughs> check your spam. Like congratulations, but check your spam. Yeah, really. So no, that's all great advice for students. And you guys have that very hard cutoff at that 3.0. So unless a student is at that close bit where they can get mm -hmm. over the hump, unfortunately, you might be not considering their application if they're at like a 2.8 or something like that. That's right. And we would we do send an email that says, this is why. You know, this is why when we try to offset it in the beginning, as opposed to, you know, completing the application process and paying the fees, don't do that if you know that, you know, the minimum criteria is not met. What is one piece of advice that you would give any applicant on their pre-PT journey? Well, I think the biggie is learn all that you can about the profession and to go to multiple different types of settings to observe in because physical therapists work in pediatric settings, nursing home, orthopedics, women's health, um, neurology. So do some homework. And I know that through the, the year with COVID, it was a challenge to get into observe. And we, we understand that that may have been a challenge for a lot of students. And so we did reduce that requirement on our application, but we still encourage students because there is value in knowing what exactly does a physical therapist do. We unfortunately have had probably two years since I've been teaching where the student may not have been that um, familiar with physical therapy and what a PT does. And then they got into the program and they didn't like touching and you know, you touch people and you have to feel certain things and they didn't like that. And so while the requirement to observe seems like a requirement, it's of such value to have been in close contact and to know the different settings and multiple settings that PTs work in. 
And I just want to add to that, um, just again, do your research, because yeah. I always ask, I always ask, <laughs> do you have a problem working with cadavers? Oh, yeah. Had an we've had an experience <laughs> where student gets here, PT prep, they didn't know that they were going to work on a cadaver. So just make sure you do your research. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In addition to when, when they look at costs, and there are some students who are certainly computer savvy, and they do look at, well, what is the cost to attend this program? And so and while our costs, when you compare it to other programs, are somewhat lower than other programs, you have to put the value in terms of the faculty, the faculty that we have, and the fact that 50% of our faculty, half have their PhD and the other half have their uh, doctorate in physical therapy, a clinical doctorate degree. Half of us have our specialty certification. And you look at that and you look at, uh, we have 28 students. And when we're full-time faculty, we have 13 teaching faculty. That's probably unmatched in any program. And then you look at, well, what is our uh, rate of our graduation rate and licensure pass rate? Well, we've had 100% licensure pass rate for the past six, seven, eight years. And in the past six years, we've had five students that scored a perfect score on the licensure exam. So we want students to know that while the cost is smaller, it's lower than many, many programs, the value in the program is the biggest kept secret, I think, that we have, especially when you consider the licensure pass rate. And that is the, the quality or the standard or the metric that we are compared by as a PT program is how our students successfully navigate that licensure exam. Say that wraps up all the questions I have. I want to thank you guys for chatting with me. Do you have any questions? No, this is awesome. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. If you have not done so, please be sure to subscribe and review the podcast so that we can continue to serve many other amazing future physical therapists like you. And if this episode brought you value, please be sure to share it out with your classmates and friends so that it can bring them value as well. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Have an amazing rest of your day or night.